Hello and welcome back to the Drive Team Podcast. My name is Ev. And my name is Winston. We are your hosts on the podcast all about VEX Robotics. In every episode, we will be talking with a member of the VEX community about their journey and experiences. They will talk about their years as a participant or their time as a coach and share some insight into the world of VEX Robotics. Today we'll be joined by Nick Merton as we talk about how he started competitive robotics and how VRC compares to VEXU. You may know Nick as one of the people who created the odometry system for VEX Robotics. Let's hear from Nick now. Hey Nick, nice to meet you. Welcome to the Drive Team. How are you doing today? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Let's start by talking a bit about who you are and some of your previous robotics experiences. Sure. So I've spent quite a few years in robotics. I had, well, when I was younger, I had like a Lego Mindstorms kit and played around with that a bit. But my first actual, I'd say real competitive robotics experience was uh, in high school. All four years of high school, I competed in VRC. My last two, I also competed in FRC. And then in 2019, I helped start a VEXU team here at Queen's University. Unfortunately, due to COVID, we haven't been able to have a uh, proper full VEXU season yet, but hoping that can happen soon. But that's sort of my background in robotics. That's cool. You also did FRC, which is really interesting. We can talk about that after. (laughs) But there's a starting point for everyone in robotics. Where was yours and why did you start? Yeah, so uh, when I started high school, some friends of mine uh, who were a year above me invited me to join the team, the robotics team for our high school, which uh, was the VEX robotics team, uh, 472. And that 472 had only been around for a year at that point, uh, but it was fairly organized. Some of the co-founders actually include a couple of people who are fairly well-known in the VEX community, such as uh, Andrew Strauss who later uh, competed on the pylons and Queen with myself and Kevin Bonish, who went on to start Roposource.net, the parts supplier. And so that that was fun. And to be honest, as soon as I started, I was completely hooked on the whole competitive robotics thing. I had done a lot of computer programming before, but hadn't really done much that actually had like physical uh, components to it, like robotics. And... um, it was a, a lot of fun. I really liked it. It gave me a really good creative outlet to actually and use what I had already kind of started learning in terms of computer programming and playing around with technical things and, and apply it to solve some really interesting open-ended practical problems, right? There's not mm-hmm. just one right way to do, thing and to do things in robotics. There's a lot of um, opportunity to improve on the meta and to learn how to do things better and to improve yourself and the and just the status quo while you're at it. So I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Nice. You mentioned that you were with the pylons. So what was your VEX Worlds experience like? And how did it feel winning VEX Worlds? So it was obviously awesome to win Worlds. It really was like a, a dream come true. And it was real validation of all the work and effort that got us to that point. I mean, there's a great um, video. I believe it was submitted as a... a for the as a submission for the promote award online challenge um, back in I think 2016 called uh, nothing up to chance and uh, by a VEXU team that year and it goes into talking about like 
the the teams that win worlds or the teams that that seem to win in their words by like force of nature that there's nothing you can do to to stop them from winning they win by covering every detail leaving nothing up to chance and they they don't go in going oh hopefully our strategy will work hopefully our robot will work hopefully we are able to score enough points to win no they know exactly what's going to happen and they know uh exactly how everything is going to work and we really tried to take that mentality to heart and uh, we tried to cover all of our bases strategically and technically in order to pull that off and of course we had no idea that we were going to win i mean pylons uh, had been successful in the past but primarily in the skills challenge we uh, the team had never made it past division quarterfinals before that year uh, at worlds so we were of course happy to de- make it to division semifinals because mm-hmm. that was a new record for as far as the team has, had gotten and beyond that we were just coasting on the high of that win and uh really happy to to get to the end there but there was a lot of effort and a lot of just strategic management of the team that went into getting us to that point so as a competitor in vex robotics aside from winning worlds do you have any other highlights or even like challenges you faced while competing of course well when you start out every win is a highlight right every win mm-hmm. is a bit of validation justification of the work that you've put in and of your strategy and your thinking and everything that's gotten you to that point and so for my first few years that was really the what i was going for it's just can i win this match can i win the next match and uh, what do i need to do to get there yeah. um the struggles are everywhere in robotics just like any other competition or sport or activity that you uh participate in and sometimes they're technical sometimes they're organizational i mean every every team that has, that does anything interesting has its own organizational challenges and uh, trying to get everyone on the same page trying to uh make sure that everything that needs to get done gets done uh, and trying to get everyone to to work cohesively uh, and so obviously that doesn't work all the time and but you have to look on the bright side and come away from it having learned more about how to how to manage a team how to be part of a team and how to work with other people i think that's one of the great things about robotics especially if you do it in a good team environment is you get to learn all those things and technically as well i mean i remember a particularly uh, crushing defeat was in 2017 worlds so the year before we ended up winning when i was a programmer for the pylons b team that year and i mean it's not like we were expecting to win worlds or even do well in our division necessarily we were <laughs> largely new to vex or new to high level vex and just trying to do the best that we could but we actually lost one match because the robot code just failed there was some internal error that was due to some weird program state that i hadn't considered and when driver control started the driver had no control of the robot it just sat there and they're sitting there waiting out the full minute 45 seconds knowing that the robot's not moving because i screwed up something in code like in the middle of the world championships is like that that's that's a a tough situation to be in right oh, yeah. and i mean we we ended up losing several other matches for several other reasons so it's not it's not like that had cost us a championship or anything but that was really something that i then took hard and took uh, back and tried to learn as i as much as i could from and uh, even to this day outside of robotics i still think of that 
whenever I'm trying to do any piece of engineering, right? Where it's not just that I need to get something that I think will work or get something that I can test once and it works that time. I need to be absolutely confident in the code that I write, the systems that I design, and I need to be able to prove to myself that it is going to work every time. And that's something that now, I mean, now I'm a graduate student in university. I'm mm-hmm. TAing courses. That's something that I'm now trying to instill in other people when I'm teaching. Yeah, for sure. Now that you're like in university, moving on to your vexed U experience, what did you as the president of the Queen's University Vex U team and any highlights along the way? Yeah, I mean, I was present from when the team started until the end of the tower takeover season in uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. And really, that was all about trying to get the team off the ground and trying to get it in a position to uh, to even field competitive uh, a set of robots and, and whatnot at competition. Mm-hmm. I knew that we weren't going to just start up and immediately be like uh, at, in the top tier of VEXU. I knew that it was going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort and probably a few seasons. But um, obviously that was uh, challenged a bit by COVID and the pandemic breaking out. Uh, we did qualify for 2020 Worlds, but obviously it, it didn't end up happening. I, I think one of the, well, there was some highlights, which was getting to really, that was my first big experience trying to teach people because we weren't trying to run it like some teams do. I don't, I'm not calling people out. I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, but we weren't trying to run it like, you know, three or four guys who have all done VEX for four years who just want to compete at the university level. Now we were trying to start a team that was sort of self-sustaining and continue on after we graduated and would be an opportunity for students, for other students to learn about robotics and to get to apply their engineering skills that they're learning in class. And so a lot of that involved teaching people everything from programming to strategy to just how to think about designing a system to actually uh, work in practice. And that was a lot of fun. One thing I have to give a shout out to Mario DeCarolis, who was one of the lead people at iDesign, who uh, everyone's probably met at some point if, you, if you're in Ontario VEX because he helps out at many tournaments. I mentioned to him that I was starting a VEXU team and he just, he basically told me, you are not going to have as much free time as you think you will. And <laughs> he's absolutely right. And th- that's one of the huge challenges with VEXU is just the, there's a lot less free time uh, with like an undergraduate engineering program than there is with being in high school and uh, trying to find the time to put a team together and to work with other people and trying to get everyone else and contribute as well, because they're also having less free time than they thought they would. And that can be a bit of a challenge, but I, I think we managed to create a good team. Yeah, I saw pretty cool robots in the tower takeover season before. Yeah, that's kind of similar to what our school is doing with our VRC teams. <laughs> Lots of management. Yeah. So speaking of VEXU, do you think that VEX or also FIRST helped you in choosing what you want to do in university and applying to university? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, so I applied to a few different schools in Ontario for both different kinds of engineering, kind of electrical or computer software engineering, as well as computer science. And I think if I hadn't done robotics, I probably would have ended up in a pure computer science program. But I learned that I like 
working with physical things as well. And I got a bit of exposure to electronics um, in, in high school, working with like Arduinos and that sort of thing, just with uh, just some side project type of things. And that was, I mean, not directly for VEX, but through VEX, I kind of got more experience with that kind of thing. And I realized that I, that I liked that side of it as well. And so I think that really pushed me towards doing computer engineering, uh, or I think I could have equally chosen electrical engineering. There's not a huge difference between them because it, it sort of encompasses both, right? I get to do programming and I get to learn more about software and how to design good software and how to think about software and software design. And I also get to apply it in uh, contexts such as embedded systems and I get to work with electronics design and do all that sort of thing. So I, I think it really did have a, a big effect on me there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's some good advice. A lot of people know you for the odometry system in VEX Robotics. Can you tell us a little bit more about the programming behind that and how you were involved? For sure. So the idea for it came from Andrew, Andrew Stress. Uh, so we were both, as I mentioned earlier, on Team 472. And then when that kind of fell apart, he went over to the pylons and then he sort of convinced them to take me as well, which I'm very grateful for. And uh, he had been thinking about that for a while. I mean, we tried to, on 472, I remember one time we tried to make what you might call a field-centric control. So the idea being that when you push the joystick, like for an X drive, when you push the joystick in a certain direction, it just moves in that direction, uh, regardless of which way the robot is actually facing. But we tried to do it just using an a VEX gyro, and we discovered very quickly that those are nowhere near good enough to pull that off with, especially we're talking about the old gyros uh, on the Cortex. And so that kind of got us thinking about how to solve these sorts of problems. And so when I joined the pylons, basically for the, this was for the 2016 to 2017 uh, Starstruck season. I mean, a lot of the first half of that season was Andrew and I sitting there with a whiteboard and an X drive base gaming out how we could, uh, like trying to work out how we could uh, solve this problem of figuring out where the robot is and just trying a few different things trying to work out the math and we eventually figured out something that would work. And um, so really it was a joint effort between the two of us. And then uh, we both ended up applying that to our respective teams at the time he was on pilots, a team and I was on pilots, B team. And then the following year he graduated and I was the programmer for the pylons. They didn't split into two teams that year. And I think, so I think uh, in the starstruck season, we really were just trying to, figure out how to do the tracking part. And there, there was a little bit of thinking beyond that, but it was mostly just, okay, now that we have that, you know, stick it in a PID loop and call it a day. Uh, whereas beyond that in, uh, in, the, in the zone season, we already had that developed. And so we spent much of that year uh, trying to figure out how to use that really effectively to uh, build up autonomous routines and to, to follow paths and both just how we do that, like how we, how we set up a controller that can do that mathematically and also how we do the software engineering side of it, which is not just how do we like implement this algorithm, but how do we do it in a way that it is very easy for us to write autonomous routines. We can write multiple of them very quickly. How do we set up that workflow for turning a strategy idea 
into an autonomous routine or a programming skills routine in as little time as possible and make it so that if our strategist comes up with a new idea or sees another team at the competition says, we need to be able to do this very specific thing, we can pull it off. And that I think is what really made the difference in our implementation. Yeah, for the, when, I, when I first saw Pylon's autonomous, it was like, wow, it's like different from any other autonomous because I guess a lot of autonomous, they use uh, just like PID, mm-hmm. but like the robot doesn't actually know where it is. The Pylon's autonomous was just like the robot could just go there and actually like do it really reliably. So I had a cool moment to see. Thanks. Yeah, I, that really works back to the leaving nothing up to chance is really the mentality that we were in when we were trying to figure out autonomous, because when we were trying to figure out odometry, because we knew that in general, autonomous was a bit of a, uh, a game of chance at that point, because I mean, some people's, some teams would have a more consistent autonomous than others, but everyone's failed like 10 to 20% of the time, at least sometimes more. And we were trying to figure out how to eliminate that. And that's why we went down that road. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is the part of the podcast where we ask each guest about their favorite moment of all time in all their years of robotics. What's yours? I think my favorite moment of all time in robotics has to be in in the zone at Worlds. Uh, there was this sort of a this is sort of a two part thing. There's two particular matches that come to mind. I I can't really decide between them. The, the first one was a qualifier, and at that point, everyone was just kind of. I mean, people had their eye on us because we had done quite well within Ontario, um, but and we were doing well within our division. But um, it, it just kind of seemed like we had a particularly consistent autonomous and a particularly good robot, a particularly interesting strategy, but. Then in that game, I guess one of our opponents just said, well, we can't outscore them in autonomous. We're just going to try to interfere with it, which is, was completely legal in that year. And so they just did the thing where they uh, point their robot and have it just drive in a straight line. And hopefully it rams into us at the right point and uh, stops us from competing our autonomous. And they did that and they did hit us at the right time. And our robot just kept driving and adjusted for that. Uh, like for the for the disturbance and still scored its mobile goal even after having been pushed two feet over and having to correct by an extra like 20 degrees it still scored its mobile goal directly in the center of the 20 point goal and everyone was kind of watching going how did they pull that off how did that happen and that's (laughs) that's when teams started coming to us and saying like how did you do that and and like can you teach us that can you explain how you did that and i think and judges as well and uh, so I think that was a, a key turning point for us and a real validation that it wasn't just we had, you know, made an incremental improvement to the consistency of our autonomous, that we had really figured out how to do something really, really well there. And then the mm-hmm. other one was, I mentioned earlier about, we wanted to be able to create different um, autonomous routines very quickly and things like that. And so while we were playing our qualifications, our the strategy team, our scouting team came to us and said, okay, there's this one team in another division that we've been ha- having our eye on because they have a completely unique strategy and no one seems to know how to play against it. And this was team 62A who had um, no lift. They just had an arm. They couldn't stack, I think, more than four cones, whereas most many teams could stack like 15, 16, 17 cones. And uh, they were winning. 
because they had a really strong drive and they could play lots of really good defense and they had the ability to tip over a mobile goal. And that was completely new at that point. This is, we're talking like worlds and no one had done that yet, or at least no one had done that at a, at a strategic level where any of the teams that were in contention to win worlds noticed it. Right. And, but they had built their strategy around it and built their entire robot around that capability and they were winning. And so we said, okay, what do we need to do to win against them? And so we planned out an autonomous routine. This is the night before the last day of Worlds where we have our last few qualifiers and then the elimination rounds. Um, so we're gaming out, how could we play against them? And, and so we figured out a potential autonomous routine and implemented it, tested it, and uh, called it a day. And part of that was we figured out how to tip over mobile goals ourselves using our own robot without anything, without adding anything new mechanically, because it just so happened that the way that our passive intake was built, we could sort of use it, the one part of it as a hook to grab the top of a mobile goal uh, and tip it over. And so we figured out how to automate that and figured out an autonomous routine just in case we had, we ever got to the dome and had to play against 62A. And then we ended up winning our division. They ended up winning their division. And our first match in the dome was against 62A. And we played that, we ran that autonomous. And we ended up winning the match for other reasons. But their alliance partner, uh, Zach from 99U, came up to us afterwards and said, like, how did you do that? Like, he said, because we'd been watching them the entire tournament, because we knew that they were one of the top teams in their division. He said, we've been watching you all season and all all of worlds. And we've never seen that in autonomous <laughs> before. And we said, of course you haven't. We built it in, in case we had to play against you. <laughs> and and so that, that, that was a, just a, I guess, another example of the, the difference between doing well and doing really well and just winning all the time, just winning essentially by forces. You have to go that extra mile and say, okay, what if, we're against this one particular team. There's only one team that we don't know how to play against. We have to come up with a strategy for that. It can't, we can't just hope that we're never going to have to play against them. We have to have a plan, right? Yeah, coming prepared to rematch. Mm -hmm. You mentioned at the start you were on an FRC team. So what do you think are some of the main differences, aside from obviously the robot? Uh, what do you think some, some of the main differences are like the team and how things operated, I guess? So I, I think FRC is a bit more like Vexu in that it's also, I mean, for different reasons, um, you can't just have a couple people who really know what they're doing like you can in Vex. You need to have some deliberate team management and some uh, deliberate project management. That's partly due to the constrained time frame and partly due to the, uh, just there's much more that goes into an FRC robot. The mechanical design, it, is a lot more from scratch. Uh, there's some electrical that's a bit more from scratch. Software is honestly pretty similar, but there's an opportunity to do more interesting things with like computer vision and whatnot. So I think it's a lot more like VexU, but it's still at the high school level, which means that they're trying to do proper like project management and team management and organization at the high school level. There can sometimes be like uh, some difficulty with that just due to, I mean, to no fault of anyone, it's high school. We're all less mature than we are by the time we get to university and just uh, there can be tempers flaring up and that sort of thing. Uh, and that's uh, that has a much larger effect, in my experience, on the 
on the team's ability to compete just because of the just because the scale requires that much more deliberate project and team management. Uh, I think the other big thing is to do with funding, right? Um, it costs a lot more money to run an FRC team, but also I don't think that alone is an issue because this also rolls for a lot more people in an FRC team, right? So the per student funding is actually not like that you need to get off the ground is actually not that much different. Uh, if you take into account that you can have a much larger FRC team and everyone still has an interesting role to play, right? But uh, the difference between uh, a team that has enough funding and a team that has a lot of funding is a lot greater in FRC than it is in VEX, right? So uh, the teams that win in VEX are all decently well-funded, right? They all have enough funding to cover their tournament costs and to cover the parts they need. Yeah. But there's sort of a, a maximum amount of funding that's useful in VEX, right? I mean, if you have more if you have more funding than that, you see organizations split into two or three or four teams uh, because they have the money to, because they can, right? And that way they can give each student a bit more ex experience. Uh, like uh, they, they can be responsible for more of the team. And I mean, we can argue about whether that's uh, the right choice as far as giving everyone the best experience possible. But uh, the point being that it doesn't take long before you have enough money to run several competitive teams uh, out of a single VEX organization. Yeah. In FRC, um, you don't really see that even with organizations that have 50 or 60 students in them because uh, the difference between having a bit of money and a lot of money per team is huge, right? And the, the teams that win in FRC have hundreds of thousands of dollars in budget a year and have sponsors that are willing to uh, to do like to give them whatever parts they want and to give them access to whatever manufacturing capabilities they want and to like give them a ton of facilities and cover mm -hmm. all of their transport costs and all that and it really is almost like more of a, a semi-pro league than it is the highest level anyways in my opinion than it is like a um, an amateur league like like Vexes, and I, I'm not I'm not saying that that's a bad thing on Vex on the on the part of the Vex products competition. In fact, I think that is better Vex because it's way more open mm -hmm. uh, to people. I mean, in FRC, when you have when you look at a competition or a match, and on one side of the field is a team that's sponsored by NASA and has carbon uh, has a robot built out of carbon fiber and like has their own team bus with an with a trailer that they with an entire machine shop in it that they bring to every tournament and they have their own like a uh, basically forklift dolly that they use to bring the robot to the field and on the other end of the field the one of their opponents is a robot built out of two by fours that they bought at home depot that's screwed together <laughs> with some like wood screws and they've got like the the standard base kit of parts that they use to build everything else on the robot, and you kind of go, hmm, who's gonna win? Hmm. Right? It doesn't matter how good the two by four team is at computer programming or mechanical design or whatever. Like they they can have the best mechanical person on the team, like in the entire league, as their lead designer, and the best program in the entire lead as their software person. But the other team can just buy a, a fancier computer to stick on the 
robot and can just build it out of carbon fiber and aluminum instead of two by fours and and little bits of aluminum here and there. And it's not even going to be close, right? So I think that's one of the bigger differences. Yeah, definitely. I'm also in first and I know like you'll you'll see those teams with like so much funding and I'm in a team with like a lower funding mm-hmm. and our robots will be held together by duct tape and zip ties. So definitely a big gap there. Yeah. So to conclude this episode, um, what advice would you give about robotics to current competitors or mentors? So the main advice I would give is to really think about what you want to get out of it, right? Because there's a lot of different things you can get out of it. You can get uh, out of it, like you can win, right? You can learn a lot on the technical side. You can learn a lot on like technical writing for documentation. You can learn a lot from interpre- in terms of interpersonal skills for working with other people, right? Um, and, and on the mental side, obviously what, the equivalent would be, what do you want the students to get out of it, right? Um, and in my opinion, the best thing you can get out of it is not necessarily to win, or at least that's not the, the best mentality to be in when you're in it. Because if you're in it just to win, then you're going to feel like you didn't get anything out of it if you don't win. And you might be cutting the wrong corners in order to do what you think is going to maximize your chance of winning. And, and so you're going to sacrifice other opportunities to get more out of it than you, that you otherwise might've had if you had taken a different approach. Uh, so what I think uh, the advice that I would give is to try to get the most out of it in terms of getting better at Every, every skill that is connected to it than you, that you can. So that can be interpersonal skills, just your own uh, skills as far as like time management and problem solving and your technical skills, your ability to uh, try to formulate a, a technical solution to a real world problem, all those different things. Because if you do that really well, if you try to use robotics as an environment and an avenue to maximize your learning and those skills, then doing well in competition will follow from that, right? If you, uh, if you just try to win at all costs, you're not going to be investing the time and the effort in making yourself a better programmer or a better designer or a better builder or a better teammate or a better leader, better communicator, and you've got to remember that it's about more than just the current match or the current tournament or the current season, right? And so then when you come back next season or when you move on to your next uh, activity in life, you're like, maybe you'll have a trophy, maybe you won't, but you won't have been able to, uh, like you won't be as good at certain things as you could have been if you had taken a different approach to it. Whereas if you try to learn the most that you can in it, then you might still do well this season and you'll have uh, more skills to put towards doing well in the current season. And then also you'll have a leg up compared to where you would have been next season or when you move on to whatever the next thing you do in life is, whether that's university or trying to do a startup or trying to get an interesting job in a certain field. The, The most you can get out of it is not necessarily a trophy. It's the experience 
and learning of everything. And if, again, if you do that well, then the trophies will follow. Mm-hmm. That's some great advice. That brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you for having me. So that was Nick Burden and his journey in VEX from VRC to VEXU. His many achievements and highlights show how competitive robotics in general can be an inspiration to continue in the fields of STEM for many students. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember to follow us on your platform of choice so you won't miss any new episodes. Don't forget to check out our website at thedriveteam.ca where you can listen on other platforms and share with your friends. That's all for now and thank you for joining us on The Drive Team.